Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. The 11 to 1 Show. Absolute masterpiece queen, Bohemian Rhapsody kicking us off this Monday morning. Sure, why not kick off with a rock classic like that? Sinead Brazel here with you. Hope you're keeping well today. Oh, listen. Measured mania. That's how one critic summed up the toy show. I think that's brilliant. I think Patrick Keelty had just the, just the amount that we needed of mania. And of course, the kids took centre stage for the toy show on Friday night. And that's what it's supposed to be about, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, the other fella can just be a bit too wired. It's like he's eaten all the sugar beforehand and he's just chaotic at times. So I was enjoying the measured mania of Patrick Kilty. He was absolutely brilliant. And local people, yes, local people really did shine in the, during the toy show and... I did mention them on Friday, but I have to give them a shout out again today because they had just such, they were fantastic. Brother and sister, Misha and Ushi in Cullivan, I think they're from the Dunleer area. They demonstrated a fantastic pizza oven and they rustled up a pizza that would just be rivaling any sort of chef that you'd ever come across. Lobster, banana, marshmallow and melon. Thankfully, no pineapple on the pizza. We all know that only weirdos eat pineapple on a pizza. Give me lobster and banana any day. You know what I mean? Absolutely superstars they were. Fantastic to see them. But oh my goodness me. As you know, the overactive tear duct was just flowing. It really was. But none more so than the Mead connection this time. Granny Carol O'Byrne from Navin. She was sitting there enjoying the toy show, minding her own business. Patrick makes a beeline with a very special surprise. Did you see this? So she was very surprised to see her family who are in Australia on the television. This is how it went down. And then, of course, the tears flowed completely with the surprise. We are going to have a little wave from your Hi, family. Mom. Hi, Hi, there you go. How you going, Carol? Can't believe you got tickets to the Late Late Show. Have a wonderful time. We'll be watching you on the TV. Love you. Bye. There you go. Hello, Carol. What about that? That was nice. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh... They say that they're going to be watching on TV, but I have to say they're terrible liars because they're actually right here behind this Christmas tree with the message for you. They've flown in from Australia. Here is Joanne, Richard and your grandkids, Eva and Ben. Come to me. 
Stop the tears. The f- oh, I couldn't cope. I can't cope with that sort of stuff. The mascara scarred, running down my face even this morning as I was trying to find the clip and watched it again, of course. Oh, this is what it's all about though, isn't it? It's about family. It's about happiness. It's about coming together. That is what Christmas is about. And I think the toy show was fantastic. And he did great. Buddy the Elf, Patrick Keelty, did absolutely fantastic. He really, really did. And well done, to, of course, as well, to all of the kids who were dancing. There was kids from Spotlight Stage School there in County Meath. There was also kids from uh, Drogheda performing as well. The Karma Crew, they were performing in the Barbie medley, which was absolutely fantastic as well. So well done to all of the local kids involved this year in the toy show. And we all had very tired boys and girls on Saturday in our house yes <laughs> after the excitement and the fun of the late late I think we're still trying to get back into the normal swing of things aren't we the normal bedtime routine I have had Santa's little helper on 086 658 he gets earlier and earlier this every year but you know what given the spirit of everything and given that you know we could all do with it I am going to allow Santa's little helper to officially start the Christmas countdown on 11 to 1. He says, it's Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Only 28 sleeps to go. I'm so excited for everyone. Oh, look, we're excited too. We are. And I also have good news. We're allowed to play Christmas music today. Yeah. So it has to be a good one. Christy took a really good one this morning on the breakfast show. So what are we thinking? What would we like to hear? What Christmas song would we like? I have one in mind, but I could be easily swayed. If you have any preferences for Christmas music, 086 1800 658. Coldplay. Something like this on LMFM's 11 to 1. We can't have Fairy Tale of New York. Okay, I'm, look, at I'm sorry. Chris already picked that this morning. We have to have something different. Lots of people saying Fairy Tale of New York. I know, I know, I'd love to play that now as well, but we've had that. So something different. I do have Last Christmas, Felice Navidad. Felice Navidad is a left of field, but I like it. What are we thinking? Keep them coming in. Christmas music, what do you want me to play? 086 1800 658. Now, on the way, this has become a thing of the past. It's all to do with how we set up for the day, involving kind of the first meal of the day. All will be revealed very shortly. And I've got music from Keen Duck Row on the way. The 11 to 1 show. Just want to let you know they there are public consultation clinics happening from 10am to 4pm this coming Saturday at Skull Rail to Namara Girls in Mornington, Donny Kearney, County Mead. So in relation to the proposed Mornington Dunes Conservation and Restoration Project. So if you have an interest in the dunes, the plan can be viewed at theecologycentre.ie and you can contribute your views at Saturday's consultation. No booking or appointment or anything is required, but it's from 10am to 4pm on Saturday at Skull Rail Namara Girls in Mornington in Dunny Kearney, County Meath. Now back to the music. Heaven on LMFM's 11 to 1. Okay, so far we're sort of getting a couple of votes, right, on each of these songs. Driving Home for Christmas or White Christmas by Bing Crosby. They seem to be sort of the options. So either one of those, if you prefer either one, let me know 086 1800 658 and we'll play that after 12. Okay, after 12, a little bit of Christmas music. Now, past, uh, this is something that's becoming a thing of the past and I definitely remember things like this in maybe my grandparents' house. Um, But it's setting the table. So setting the table for breakfast, becoming a thing of the past. This is all with thanks to a survey that was done uh, as almost three quarters of people think that it's outdated. Now, I am all for setting the table normally, sort of obviously dinner, all that kind of thing. I definitely will set the table for breakfast at the weekend. I love a weekend breakfast and I love to sort of, you know, savour that and not sort of rush through it because during the week it's you know very very quick running out the door getting kids to school all that sort of stuff so breakfast at the weekend end has to be celebrated but 8 in 10 Gen Z uh, Gen Z's and millennials 
think their parents and grandparents have a more formal attitude to, towards breakfast. So the survey found that more than half think as well using a teapot at breakfast is on the way out, while tablecloths, tea cosies and milk jugs. <gasps> I love a milk jug now and I love a teapot. But there are other traditional items they are falling out of use among younger generations. My husband always, you know, sort of pokes fun at me when I take the teapot out because if there's more than one person having tea, you have to have a teapot. It's just the etiquette. And I have it in a special cabinet. I have a couple of them. And I love to sort of have a whole kind of ceremony over the teapot. And I love to use it. And I only get to use it you know, every now and again. But that, I'm going to say, is something I love to do. And a milk jug. I got a really lovely milk jug down in, in uh, Tralee in um, Derry. You know, Derry on social media, Derry and Tyg Fleming. When I went into Derry's, Derry's Perties in Tralee and I got this amazing milk jug. So it's a cow and it's like the milk obviously comes out of his little mouth and it's just so cute and very unique. So I'm all about a milk jug and I'm all about a teapot. But setting the table for breakfast, a thing of the past, do people still do this? Let me know. Do you set the table for breakfast? Even, you know, sort of the little placemat and the cup and saucer and the bowl. Is that all part of the course of your routine? Or is it fallen by the wayside? Let me know. 86 Westlife, hello my love on LMFM's 11 to 1. Now over the weekend, the annual 16 Days of Action, it's a global campaign aimed at raising awareness and taking action to end domestic violence and gender-based abuse. That began at the weekend and LMFM are supporting this campaign for the 16 Days. We're going to be finding out more about it with Frances Hayward. She's Fundraising and Communications Manager with Mead Women's Refuge. She's going to join us next. Eleven to one show. L-M-F-M. Over the weekend, the annual sixteen days of action global campaign aimed at ra- raising awareness and taking action to end domestic violence and gender-based abuse began. And this year, LMFM is supporting Women's Aid Dundalk, Drogheda Women and Children's Refuge, and Mead Women's Refuge. We're highlighting their work and support services for victims of domestic abuse. So, for the duration of the campaign, we're going to be focusing on key issues from fundraising efforts to understanding the signs of coercive control and emotional abuse. And we're also going to be hearing from survivors over the station. Joining me now to give us an overview of the campaign though is Frances Hayward. She's Fundraising and Communications Manager at Mead Women's Refuge. Uh, you're very, very welcome, Frances. Thank you so much for joining me in studio this morning. Thanks so much, Now It's so much to be here. Now, Saturday, the 16 Days of Action campaign officially launched. Can you tell us more about the campaign and how it all came about? Yeah, so it's been over 30 years actually this campaign has run as a global um, campaign, the 16 Days of Activism Against Gender-Based Violence and really it started in America and it's UN um, sort of led and endorsed now and really it's to raise awareness globally and like encourage people to take action against violence against women across the globe. So in Ireland it's um, women's organisations, domestic violence services um, and others have have all come on board over the last number of years really to it's it's an opportunity to speak out and, and to educate people. Absolutely. And such an important campaign. So why does it run for 16 days specifically? Is there a special sort of significance to the number 16 or how does that work? Well, I guess violence against women. I was actually just reading the UN site there uh, this morning um, and they say themselves violence against women and girls remains the most pervasive human rights violation around the world. So it's such the scale, I think, of the problem globally. It's not just in Ireland. It's not an isolated problem we have here. Really, it's a global issue, uh, violence against women and girls. And I think the 16 days gives that full sort of scope really to to talk about the issue and to raise awareness of it uh, and what action can be taken. Um, And even globally, um, it's estimated one in three women have experienced violence uh, during their lifetime. And in Ireland, the the statistics would be one in four women have experienced abuse from a current or former partner. So it's a very widespread, um, entrenched problem, really, that we have in society. And I think the 16 days gives that full um, amount of time for it. And it begins, of course, on the 25th of November, which is the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women and ends on the 10th of December, which is International Human Rights Day. And when you say statistics like that, like one in three and one in four, like they are 
so so stark and so prevalent so as you rightly say like 16 days like is that even enough time to kind of to, to, to make our points and to and to make sure things are, are being sort of issues like this are being raised and, and, and there's an awareness around it now over the years we unfortunately hear so much about physical violence against women in domestic violence situations but not all of the abuse suffered by women is actually physical we're seeing a lot more you know women experiencing coercive control and emotional abuse as well yeah that's right and I suppose some of our take on that would be we feel you know coercive control emotional psychological abuse has always been there but what we're seeing in the last number of years is a is a great increase I think in awareness around it and in Ireland we've seen obviously a change in the legislation as well so in 2018 the Domestic Violence Act made coercive control an offence and illegal offence um, in Ireland for the first time and we're seeing cases come through the courts now around coercive control um, Coco's law as well in 2020 you know made the the non-consensual sharing of explicit images illegal as well. So I think we've seen real progress in that in Ireland over the last number of years. And I think, you know, the campaigns during COVID as well, I think there was a real heightened awareness around domestic abuse and it can take many forms. Um, And I think that's that's, uh, helped people to come forward and seek help. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to be exploring more during this week about, you know, signs, red flags, that kind of thing around coercive control. Absolutely. So, you know, we're highlighting this form of abuse as well, because as you say, it's quite difficult to spot. And often the parent person experiencing the emotional or coercive control can sort of be made to feel like they're losing their mind or that it's all in their head a little bit. Absolutely. And I think that's uh, coercive control is um, by definition a pattern of controlling or, or threatening behaviour. Behavior. So, you know, one of the, 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 the one of the number one signs that you would see or the first uh, sort of warning signs around that really are control, sort of um, monitoring people's movements, mm. restricting um, access to friends and family and really resulting in an isolation of of a woman within um, her own sort of social circle. And that's very, very common. Um, and I think that, you know, um, there's in terms of criticism um negativity putting people down eroding their self-esteem yeah. i think that's very much uh, part and parcel of of patterns of coercive control and really um there it, c- it can be uh, mind games are a part of mm. that as well you know in terms of how people can question their own judgment or their own sense of reality but again we would see that very often like that's a very common um, I suppose tool of, of that abusers or perpetrators would take in, ter- in trying to kind of wear someone down or you know keep their world very very small um, and uh, you know I suppose that can make it more and more difficult then for women as they are seeking help and you know people often do doubt themselves a yeah. lot and they say I'm, am I imagining this is this real you know maybe this is my fault mm. um, and really what we would say to people um, and we would always say is to if it feels wrong it likely is wrong, you know, and to trust your own instincts. Um, and if something doesn't feel right, to talk to somebody, to reach out, to look for that help. Um, and ourselves in in Meath Women's Refuge and Strada and Dundalk, the refuges there, we all, we the three services have twenty four hour helplines, um, and really the the the, the helplines are there for for women to pick up the phone to talk through what they're experiencing, um, and and to share it with somebody else. Um, and our our staff would have had a lot of experience in in this and and be able to offer advice or to talk through what you're experiencing really um, and to see uh, to, to see how we can help or what the next steps would be. And that's absolutely key as well to talk to somebody about this because it, it's not in your head and that's as you rightly say one of the tools that perpetrators will use all the time and things like look what you've made me do as well that's a big one th- as well with, with regards to this. Are you seeing the numbers increase? I mean, we mentioned statistics there. Are you seeing the the numbers increase, the amount of women that are reaching out? And also, do you see it increase around this time of the year, Frances? We do, absolutely. So, um, and even as you mentioned there about, you know, things people would say, I think using sort of alcohol as an excuse as mm-hmm. well is something that would come up often um, that, that we would hear. But like we're having a very, very, you know, really probably since the onset of COVID, we've seen a big increase in the number of women coming forward for support. And this year is probably our, our busiest year ever. Um, we've had, I think, a June this year, we were at the same numbers of women who had stayed in refuge as the whole of last year. So in a six month period, we had the same numbers as 12 months last year. So the phones are busy, refuge is busy. We've already had to um, uh, unfortunately say no to over 300 women 
that we're looking for support this year. And we do have a good support network with other refuges in the northeast where we will, you know, in North Dublin and of Drodden and Dawk and others, where if we have space, we mm. can offer it to people. But unfortunately, um, there, there aren't enough refuge spaces in Ireland, like across the entire country. I think there's 140 refuge spaces. And by sort of international standards, we should have around a minimum of 450. Mm. So we're very far behind where we need to be. And that is improving uh, sort of slowly as as new refuge beds are, are being put in place. And ourselves in, in Meath, we're hoping to have a new refuge in the next year or two. Um, but yeah, it's it, there's there's really, I suppose, high demand for um, for for refuge, um, but also the, the phone lines are very busy and our other services as well in court. So um, th- th- there is very high demand. Um, but we would Christmas is, and you'd asked about Christmas there. Yeah. I think um, uh, when I was just chatting to someone about it this morning. We do see, um, I suppose, Christmas can be quite an uncertain time as well, and this kind of high high emotion. There's, um, you know, there's a lot of of families and, and women that want to make Christmas okay for their children mm. as well. Um, and, you know, we would see case even of Christmas being used as, um, you know, control over Christmas or money for presents or yeah. food or even things like that being used as tools of abuse. So I think it can be a very difficult time for, for women who are who are in, a, in abusive relationships trying to navigate that and make Christmas, you know, trying to keep Christmas together, um, particularly for children. But we do um, often see a, a big increase in calls and starting in Stevens's day, really. Okay. Okay. Um, so we, we, we do get a lot of contact and obviously it can be a very difficult time as well when schools are closed. You know, mm. people might be, again, more more isolated than usual if they're not seeing their, their usual colleagues or, or different people. So, yeah, again, we just encourage anyone that's experiencing difficulties in the run up to Christmas to, to get in touch with us. When you say things like, you know, that there's not enough room and you have to sometimes say no to your particular service and, and, and maybe refer to elsewhere, like it's, that's soul destroying, that's so frustrating. How can we help? How can we support? Because you do rely so much on our generosity. Yeah, and I think the the, the, the three refugees that are involved in the, in the campaign this year in Loud and Meath, uh, we're all really grateful for the support that we get from the community, from businesses. Uh, like in Meath Women's Refuge, we've been there since 1987. So we've a really kind of strong presence in the community and we're so lucky uh, to get that support. But we get core funding from the state that would cover staff salaries, but additional services that we provide like counselling, play therapy, um, food and clothes particularly as well for, for women and families that come in. That's 100% funded through donations and grants. Um, so yeah, every year we're, we're you know, we're, we're trying to raise money and, and we do get a lot of support. But if people can um, support their local refuges this Christmas, it really means an awful lot. And I know, I think on the LMF, LMFM website, there's contact details for the three refuges. Yeah. Um, and we have a fundraising page as well um, for this campaign. It's idonate.ie forward slash fundraiser forward slash LMFM. And any donations made to that page are shared equally between um, Meath Women's Refuge, uh, Women's Aid Dundalk and Drada Women and Children's Refuge and go directly then really to support the families we're working with. Fantastic. And that's what we're hoping to do through, through the campaign. Now, you know, you do see women obviously at rock bottom and, you know, when they arrive at your door, they have been through so much. But the key thing for, for people to remember is when they do re- arrive at your door, that's a humongous step to rebuilding their lives, isn't it, Francis? It is. And, you know, we see we see the refuge as a place of hope, um, you know, and it can be very difficult to take that first step, whether it's a phone call or, or coming in. But really, it can be a, a huge turning point as well and we absolutely see women come through that and rebuild and go on to, to, to much better lives you know and even like we'd we at, at times have, have women that have stayed with us to come back um, you know and often you know giving a donation or, or you're just making contact um, and we've had uh, women that have come back with their there their, was a lady that came back um, at, at a, um, a year or two ago with her now adult children to kind of tell them her story and, and to say this is where it all changed for me um, and even, you know, people who've commented that I'm not the same woman as I was when I came mm. here, you know, came here. But it, it can be a long journey for people. And um, I think, you know, the refuge is, you know, and, and we do provide the refuge accommodation, but we also have a kind of a comprehensive outreach service, you know, for women that are maybe not staying in refuge, but that we meet in the community or we support through the courts um, and a children's programme as well. So we work with a lot of families, that, you know, in refuge, but also outside yeah. of refuge. So um, I, th- I think it's... Uh, 
yeah, like it's whatever stage you're at on your journey. And um, we'd really invite people to make contact if you need support and we'll do the best we can to, to help. I've no doubt you will. I, re- I really think that what you're doing is, is tremendous. If anyone is listening, affected by the discussion, uh, how can they reach you guys specifically? We do have all the supports, by the way, on lmfm.ie, but how can they reach you specifically? So uh, Meath Women's Refuge, our website is www.dvservicesmeath.ie and our phone number is 1800 Um And the other, the numbers are on um, the lmfm.ie as well, the website. So we'd encourage people to reach out. Absolutely. absolutely. Francis, thank you so much for joining me today and for going through all of that. And uh, I, I'm sure we will chat to you again as the 16 days progress. But thank you so much for taking the time this morning. Thanks so much, Sinead. Thanks a million. So over, the, as I mentioned, over the course of the next few days and weeks here in the station on all of the shows, we are going to be covering different aspects of gender based violence, abuse, uh, different uh, support systems in place, fundraising efforts, all of that. All of the information can be found at lmfm.ie. The 11 to 1 show with Gilmore's, your Mercedes Benz. LMFM. LMFM Northeast Update with Senator Windows. Senator Windows products will help you create a secure, comfortable, energy efficient home you're proud of. Call 0818 77 On this day in 1893, women vote in a national election for the first time in the New Zealand general election. And today is Cyber Monday. It was originally created by Ellen Davis, Senior Vice President of the National Retail Federation and was first used in 2005 holiday season. It was based on the research they conducted which stated that one of the biggest shopping days of the year was the Monday after Thanksgiving. LMFM Northeast Update with Senator Windows. Creating the perfect home is a journey. Let us guide you. Visit our Drada, Dundalk and new Navin showrooms. Discover more at senatorwindows.ie News at 12 is approaching but still to come I meet a dancer lighting up the stage with a unique performance and I'll be playing some Christmas music. The 11 to 1 show. I have it. The first Christmas song on 11 to 1 as chosen by you. That's on the way up. On air, online, on your smart speaker, this is LMFM Pink with Perfect. Now excitement is building for this, yeah. The votes are very important for this, okay? So do not forget to vote for the nominations are in Mead's favourite retailer. So you have been nominating for the past week or so, but now it's down to the final four. So who are our nominees for Mead's favourite retailer? Well, Birds, Centra in Athboy, A&M Newsagents in Kells, Smith's Super Value, Johnstown and the Muttonhead Butchery in Slane. And now, though, it is time for you to vote for your favourite. How do you do that? Well, you log on to countymeathchamber.ie and you make your selection. You can vote right up till Wednesday morning, this coming Wednesday at 7am. And the winner is going to be announced by Chris on the LMFM Breakfast Show then at about 8.45 on Wednesday. Okay, so last, last chance to vote for Mead's favourite retailer. Will it be Birds Centra and Athboy, A&M Newsagents and Kells, Smith's Super Value Johnstown or the Muttonhead Butchery in Slane? you got to vote now. Meadchamber.ie The Buzz on LMFM. Keep up to date with all the latest news and gossip on the LMFM app. Hi, I'm Max. Tyla has shared a snippet of her new single, Truth or Dare. This is the long-awaited follow-up to her hit single, Water. Have a listen to this. So tell me, are you down now? Cause I'm up now. So let's play truth or dare. Dare you to forget that you used to treat me just like anyone. Truth or dare, is it true you care now that you can see the love from me? The performer who gets the starring role opposite Jackie Chan and Ralph Macchio in the new Karate Kid film will have prevailed against some fierce competition. Just one day after the two stars announced Sony Pictures' open casting call to find the next Karate Kid, The Hollywood Reporter found out that the studio has already received over 10,000 submissions. Submissions have come from far and wide, including the US, Canada, the UK, India, Australia, Singapore, Finland, 
Sweden and South Africa. Jennifer Lopez has shared a new teaser for her upcoming album, This Is Me Now. The short clip was posted online. The Buzz, I'm Max. The Buzz on LMFM. Keep up to date with all the latest news and gossip on the LMFM app. Well, the votes are in. It was kind of between White Christmas or this one from Chris Rea. It's the first Christmas song on 11 to 1, Driving Home for Christmas. Driving Home for Christmas, the first ever Christmas song on 11 to 1. Don't worry, I will play another one tomorrow on the show. Now, really excited to chat to my next guest. She's sitting here in front of me. So, so glam. Gorgeous red dress, stunning earrings, makeup, the whole lot. We are going to be chatting to Dee Keevney. She's a burlesque performer. She's from Galway originally, but she's living in Drogheda. We're going to chat to her next. The 11 to 1 show with Gilmore. Ever since she was a little girl, my next guest has wanted to dance. And as soon as she finished school, she headed off to study, spending two years at the College of Dance in Dublin and a year at the Broadway Dance Centre in New York, training in ballet, jazz and contemporary street styles before falling in love with the art of burlesque. Now she's performed all over the world and she's even picked up some awards along the way, including Entertainer of the Year at the MS Burlesque Ireland competition. She's now working in the thriving burlesque scene in Ireland. And although she's originally from Galway, she recently settled down in Drogheda and I'm delighted to be joined by Dee Keevney. She's in studio. How are you getting on? Very glamorous today you are. I mean, I know it's radio, but you know, you have to get into the spirit of it, you know. <laughs> you definitely do. You definitely do. Talk me through the outfit choice next day because it's very Christmassy. It is well. very Christmassy. And I just happen to have like, this is just my winter coat in general. So it just happens to be green and I'm wearing a red dress. Um, I've got a red and white flower in my hair. I've got red earrings and I've got a little bit of bling on as well. Listen, you have to have a bit of bling. Uh, so, but this is very different from your sort of regular nine to five because normally yeah. <laughs> normally you wouldn't be quite this glam, would you? I'd love to say that I'm in like full glam, Oscar ready all the time. But uh, I do have a day job as well, which is about one step up from pyjamas. Uh, in terms of the wardrobe. So yeah, I was actually looking forward to getting into some festive looks this morning. It looks absolutely stunning. It really, really (laughs) does. I feel incredibly underdressed (laughs) beside her. Uh, But uh, talk to me about this now because I am just in awe of burlesque dancers in general. Like anyone who is performing and showcasing and celebrating their body in any way, uh, particularly women, Mm -hmm. I think is just fantastic. Do you have to have tons and tons of confidence for this? Uh, that's such a great question. Um, I find that the confidence is something that comes and develops with time. Like nobody is born coming out the womb thinking, okay, I am like the hottest thing on this earth. I'm ready to go. Love me, love me. Um, even Beyonce has days where she's like, oh God, I just can't. So um, it's definitely something that comes and builds with time. Uh, the more comfortable you become with certain types of movement, the more used you get to looking at yourself in a mirror and then the more people that you see who look like you and who move like you, the more that strength and that confidence builds in you where you're like, that person can do it. That means that I can do it too. So uh, it's definitely a process, Mm. um, but at least 50% of it is fake. That's like important to remember as well, is that at least half of it is just like, oh God, I don't know if I can do this. But like you just put the smile on and you just kick ball change. And you know, if you can, if you can make the audience believe it, then you can make yourself believe it. Well, you definitely do. That is for sure. <laughs> but talk to me about uh, the love of dance, first of all, because this goes all the way back to yeah. childhood where you wanted to be a ballerina. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a long story. So my, yeah, my mother put me into ballet class when I was five. Like, I don't remember asking for this. I'm sure she was just like, get her out of the house. She's got too much energy get away from me um but that was kind of like the catalyst for everything I just became obsessed with ballet and then all styles of dance um growing up I went into drama schools and stage schools and different types of dance styles and then by the time I was doing my leave insert and the, po- the folks were like okay it's crunch time like what are you putting on the CAO and I was like uh nothing <laughs> and they were really supportive actually in fairness to them and uh yeah I did go to the College of Dance in Dublin which is still going and then I went on to uh, Broadway Dance Centre in New York. And that was, as you can probably imagine, one of the best years of my life, one of the best things I've ever done. And um, 
And yeah. what was that like though? Like going, being away from home, was that the furthest you had been? And you sort of went on your own. I such? did go yeah, on my yeah. own, yeah. And I hadn't, uh, I'd never been to America at all at that point. And I was 22 when I left. And I remember texting my sister when I was sat on the plane, like a chat and waiting to take off. And I was like, what am I doing? Why do I think that I can do this? This is crazy. And she was just like, stop, you're going to have the best time ever. And like, definitely I did. It was very much a... Uh, you know, a test to myself mm. almost. And I wasn't sure like what to expect because I'd never been, never been to the States at all. And uh, just jumping in with both feet, like into this huge, enormous city from tiny little Galway, you know. So uh, it's it that alone did wonders for my confidence. And yeah. sometimes I think like, if I can do that now, 10 years later, like what can't I do? So yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was a big, big, uh, a big, experience and a big scary thing to do but 100% worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And that wasn't the only scary thing that you did because you went all of the way to India to do <laughs> something that I thought only originated and stayed in the States. Cheerleading. Yeah. How does, first of all, how does cheerleading happen in India and how on earth does this come about for you? So, yeah, so I was part of the Delhi Daredevils cricket cheerleaders. Love it. So I know we're not super familiar with cricket in Ireland and I definitely wasn't before I got there, but uh, they have a league there called the Indian Premier League, which is uh, one of the most uh, lucrative sports leagues in the world. Okay. And uh, they're absolutely cricket mad in India. Mm. Like the cricket cricket stars over there are what like David Beckham and Wayne Rooney would uh, be like okay. to us. Just yes. huge celebrities. And so this league, they kind of wanted to like make it more accessible and more, kind of, they wanted to kind of sass it up a bit, yes. you know, and make it a bit more show and telly. So they were like, oh, we'll bring in some cheerleaders. And they've been doing this now for years and years. But um, yeah, so that's kind of why they have it. And it's a shorter game. It's T20 cricket. So it's only four hours oh, rather lovely. than five days. So <laughs> nice and short. Um, so yeah, I got the I got the gig because I was living in London at the time. And, you know, you're just applying for every casting you see and going to all these auditions. And I had applied for a completely different job through this agency. And I think that I think it was in Greece. And the agency emailed me and they were like, OK, so the Greece job, they're not interested, but we actually have another client who saw you and would love to have you out to India for this. And I was like, OK, <laughs> I was just like, yeah, why not? Like, I've never been like, when would I ever get to go again? It sounds like an absolutely mad experience. So like, yeah, let's just Br- go for it. Bring it on. Yeah. And so how do you then, because like I'd imagine cheerleading, particularly like quite punishing on the body. Like, did you go through a lot in terms of like the prep and everything for that? Um, so the way that it was working over there was like when you think of American cheerleaders and they're flipping and yeah. they're doing all this crazy stuff. So we were not doing anything quite like that. Like we were we were hired to be dancers, not acrobats, you know, okay. it's a bit of a difference. Um, I wish we could though. But we were kind of placed on little small stages around the stadiums. And anytime, I'm going to butcher this now because it's been so long. Anytime there was like a a four, a six, a wicket or any kind of score, we would hop up then and perform our our various little routines Ah. based on whatever had happened on the field. So we never performed actually on the field itself because there's there's just loads of like sand pits and And yokes and things sticking out of the ground. Over and it would be like that's someone else's score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And also we hadn't a clue what was going on the first (laughs) match. Like we had our manager sitting with us. Like everyone was had like somebody with them to be like that was a score. Get up, go. Because we were just like what what happened? What happened? Everyone's cheering. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That would be me. Absolutely clueless. And never mind cricket. Just any sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So you know, did did you? Spend a long time there. Was a culture shock a little bit? Oh, yeah. So I was there for three months in total. So the league lasted for two months. And then the third month, uh, so we were based in Delhi, but we flew all over the country, like with our team to like all the away matches. Um, so that was for two months. And then the third month, I went to Kolkata and I stayed with a family that I knew there who had a dance studio. And I taught oh. dance there at their studio for the last month because I had a three month visa. I was like, I'm not going home. I have not, a month left on this, no. you know? Um, so yeah, it definitely was a bit of a culture shock. Um, after a certain amount of time, you kind of think that you've seen it all. Like two months after we'd finished the contract and I was like, OK, I'm going up to Kolkata. I've seen loads of India now, like nothing can shock me. And then you get to a new place and you're just like something just absolutely bonkers happens. And you're yeah. like, oh, my God, what what, did, what am, am I, I looking at? Like, So, yeah, it's uh, it is a culture shock for sure. And if, even if I went back again, like it's been like five years, maybe now, if I went back again, I still think I would be shook. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh no, totally, totally. So, how did you discover burlesque then? Because such a different art form from yeah. that, what you've been doing all along. Very much so. So, um, while I was in London, I lived with another girl. Uh, we just subletted a place. I think I was only there for a couple of months, but she was a burlesque dancer, and I 
watched her like make her costumes like mm. design her acts I watched her take eno- an enormous suitcase out to work with her every night full of stuff and I went to see her perform one of her shows and I was just like oh my god this is so beautiful this like just brings so many things that I love together yeah and I would love to do this I was like I could do this I know I could do this um but I couldn't kind I couldn't really get started in London because it's quite an uh it's quite an investment yeah. to get into burlesque. Like nobody else is paying for your costumes. Like Not. you're the one who has to invest in all of that and build up your your acts and your kind of packages, so to speak. So I was a typical struggling artist in mm. London. I was like working these crappy jobs, barely making rent. A tale as old as time. Uh, so I just couldn't, I couldn't like drop, you know, four figures on, <laughs> yeah. on something fancy. So uh, I only got into burlesque then when I eventually moved back to Ireland, which was in uh, 2019. And um, yeah, an opportunity presented itself and I was just like, OK, here we go. We're not looking back. Well, I heard this opportunity now. There was something like two weeks to prepare and you had to come <laughs> up with this yeah. like fantastic act. Like talk about being completely flung and pitched into the deep end. Yeah, very much so. Like I... So I knew this producer down in Cork, he produ- or Galway, excuse me, Galway, who produces a show called The Dirty Circus and they travel all over Ireland as well. I've met members of this. There they you go. They are fantastic. Yeah. yeah, they're great fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a great show always. Um, and I had known Tommy, the producer, from doing like go-go dance gigs back in the day. And he was like, oh, you're back from London. Okay, do you want to do a show? I have one in two weeks. Uh, do whatever you want. Go. And yeah. so he just gave me nothing. He just gave me a blank slate. And I was like, well, if he doesn't tell me to do something, I'm going to do my own thing. And, yeah. But then I was also like, OK, two acts in two weeks. What? So I just kind of was like looking around the house. and I was like, what do I already have that I can just build a base yes, off? So of I had course. this white tutu skirt. Mm-hmm. And I was like, right, that's it. I've got the point shoes. I've got the tutu skirt. I'm just going to like get a cheap corset, cheap bra, bling some stuff together throw some vodka into a hip flask and I'll be a tipsy ballerina. And I still do that act today. The costume has improved a lot, but uh, I still do the choreography that I made that time in 2019. Um, and then the same, I made a singing in the rain act because I had a yellow trench coat and I was like, I have an umbrella, I have a yellow trench coat, done, bang, just throw on any old extras and I love that. call it an act. I was, I was going to ask you, where do you get your inspiration? But you've literally just told us. But there's a huge aspect of this that is comedy, which yeah. I love. Is that, I suppose, adding to the fun of the performance? Oh my God, completely. Like uh, most of my acts are quite comedic because it's so silly and stupid sometimes yeah. when you think about it. You're like, I'm up on stage, I'm getting me bits out. Like, it's funny. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's okay to laugh at bodies. They're funny. They move funny when they jiggle. It's a good time. So yeah. like, uh, bringing comedy into my acts is something I really, really like. Um and it also helps an audience feel more comfortable sometimes if they're yes. not sure if they're supposed you're winking to winking so much. At exactly. Them. Yeah, it's it's very, very like nudge, nudge, wink, yeah. wink. Yeah. And some people are like, I don't know what to expect. Is it going to be really serious? Is it going to be like super raunchy? And it can be. <laughs> but if someone's up there just kind of clowning around and having the crack, it can kind of make the audience relax a little bit and be like, okay, this is fine. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, my ballerina act, very, very clowny, like very, very funny. Um, I have a workout Barbie act as well oh, which I love is it. very uh, cultural uh, moment it yeah, is yeah, yeah. it's also an older one of mine though like I made it back in 2019 as she well she had it first she had it first I mean yeah, you yeah. know I'm just saying you heard it here <laughs> um, and that's just pure gas because I'm like in an aerobics like it's very 80s and I'm in an aerobics yeah. class and I'm just like let's get physical <laughs> and it's it. just so dumb and stupid <laughs> and funny you know and like it doesn't have to be serious art yes. all the time so, of course yeah. of course but there is a lot that you have to put your body through mm. is there a lot of like stretching and do you do yoga and things like that to improve strength all that sort of stuff yeah so like depending on the individual like a lot of people ask me like do I need to be a dancer to get into burlesque mm. and it helps me but it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody needs to follow that same journey like I have some friends who are some of my favourite performers who don't have a dance background and they're still able to like hold an audience in the palm of their hand yeah. just with their facial expressions you know but you know so, it's so funny as you say that because every single burlesque act that I've sort of you know seen say on social media mm. or bits and pieces like that I've seen th- that's exactly it yeah. That and that's really really difficult to do it and is. you have to kind of like a comedian I suppose yeah. as well you sort of have to get the audience on side sort of straight away and it's pretty much just you yourself yeah yeah, yeah very true very true and like some people try like bring a story into it which can help as well because you really are trying to like 
the face is so important. Like mm. the costumes are beautiful, the wigs are beautiful, everything's beautiful. But like, if you're dead in the face, like yeah. no one is is having a good time. <laughs> like yeah. we're not having a good time. The audience is like, is she okay? <laughs> um, so yeah, a lot of it really is in the face. And as much as like I'm very physical in my acts and very like choreography heavy, um, it isn't. It's not essential for every act. And yeah. I definitely have some ones now that I'm like, okay, I can't just be going splits, pirouette, whack, bang, clack. I'm gonna die. Yeah. I need to start like bringing it in a bit and like making it more in the face just yeah. to keep my body going you know for yeah. another 10 years so um, you gotta look after it I know yeah you put it through a lot <laughs> you definitely do but is there a lot there are, I would imagine there's a lot of misconceptions out there mm-hmm. in burlesque what's the ones that annoy you kind of the most oh god um a very very common one is like a lot of people don't actually know that it involves stripping mm. like that there's Items of clothing coming off, layers coming off. A lot of people see the movie Burlesque, the Christina Aguilera movie, which is obviously super commercial and very well known. And when I was, when it first came out, it had a chokehold on me. My God, (laughs) because it's beautiful. Christina's amazing. Cher is amazing. All of that. But in the movie, there's no actual like real burlesque happening. Mm. It's very just like beautiful costumes, beautiful dancers. And that's it. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people look at that and you get some corporate bookings coming through and they're like, oh, can we'd love to have burlesque, but can you like not don't take anything off? Like, don't, and you're like, well, that's five entire minutes of my act. What am yes. I supposed to do other than that? Like, <laughs> so a lot of people aren't aware of that and that the history of burlesque like really goes back a long, long way. And in the, the golden age of burlesque would be it would have been in like the 40s, 50s, 60s in mm. America. And the dancers at the time would have been very heavily censored and scrutinized and criticized. God forbid a woman be making good money, you know what I mean, in the 50s without the need for a husband. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, they frequently would have been arrested for violating like indecency laws and hauled off to court to say, you know, you were showing too much boob on that show. Like we must, (laughs) you must be punished, woman. Um, So... There's definitely that's a that's a big part of, of yeah. burlesque and burlesque history. Um and similar to how like a lot of women today are criminalized for showing too much skin online or yes. any other like ludicrous yes. situation. So um that's another thing that kind of uh is I like I like to bring attention to always is yeah. you know, um there's a long, long history of burlesque and quote unquote women behaving badly. <laughs> and, uh, and this is this brings up a really interesting point because a lot of what you're doing is reclaiming ownership back of your sexuality mm-hmm. and your body. And, you know, it's bringing it's it's empowering. Isn't Absolutely. It? Yeah. 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 That's what it's one of my favorite things about it as well, is that if you go to a burlesque show in Ireland or anywhere, you will see so many different types of bodies and you'll Mm. see so many different types of people. And I'm talking all sizes, all genders, all races. Burlesque is for every body. Like if you have a body, you can do burlesque. Yeah. Um, The speaking of misconceptions, like one very commonly is that you have to be like shredded to the gods, like Mm. skinny mini, all that kind of stuff. And there's space for that. Absolutely. But like, that isn't to say that there isn't so much room for every other kind of performer. Um, and a lot of the, like as a, as, a, as a former dancer, that was something that I really disliked about the industry was that you would go to an audition and you would be told you're not tall enough, you're not skinny enough, you're too short, you're not short enough, you're, we've already yeah. got five redheads, we need more blondes. Like there's a criteria that if you don't fit into the box, you don't get the job. Whereas what makes you different in burlesque is what makes you sellable, what makes you special, what makes an audience want to look at you. Because, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I just used to be in these lineups with all these girls who looked like me exactly. And it's just like, it's so boring to look at, you know, and I don't want to be pigeonholed into that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why would you be pigeonholed and like told that what makes you different is, is what makes you like unbookable? Yeah, yeah. Because now I'm in a situation where it's the total opposite and it's my favorite thing to see. Uh, a cast that's so different and unique and it's uh, it's my favourite thing to be told we love you because of what makes you unique and special yeah. and different Like and that's... We, and people in the performance industry could definitely all do with that yeah. confidence yeah. boost 100%. 100% so what's the situation like for you coming up to Christmas now in terms of performances and we should also say that you did mention um, the, the burlesque scene in Ireland is absolutely thriving isn't it? Yes Uh Definitely since COVID, it's like obviously COVID was a very bad time for everybody and everybody mm. took a huge, huge hit. Um, but definitely I would say this year it has just been back with a bang. I feel like at this time, at this point in the year, everyone's very tired, but yes. in a good way. We're all so grateful to be this tired and to have been so busy all year. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah, it's been um, just an absolute manic year for everybody, I feel. And uh, there is so much talent in Ireland. Yeah. and. 
maybe another misconception is that you have to bring in if you want burlesque at your event like oh we better go to the UK and bring them in oh my god there's so much here here. there's so much talent here Um, and speaking as somebody who left Ireland to go and work abroad because I didn't feel like I had the opportunities here now that I've come back there's so much here and um, it's yeah, if you want burlesque at your event, at your dad's 60th, at your wedding, at your baby's christening, like, give us a Google. We're all here. We're all available. <laughs> so how do people get in touch with you? Because you do have a couple of performances coming yes. up. Yes. Um, so I'm on Instagram at Daria de Colette. That's where most of my uh, updates and everything goes on. You can also find my website, dariadecolette.com. Um, in the next few weeks, uh, I've got a handful of shows all over the place. I will be at Athlone in Athlone at Only After Dark Burlesque on December 9th. Um, in December 17th, I will be in Cork with the House of Machia. And on December 23rd, I will be in Dublin with Candlelight Cabaret. I'm oh, also I doing. Those guys. Yeah, uh, they're great. Oh, so good. Yeah. I'm also doing two shows in uh, in Edinburgh in the middle of all that, but I, I don't think there's many people from Scotland listening here, is there? <laughs> you never know. You never, you never know. know. It has been such a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you so Thank much you for, for having taking me. the time it's been a joy. and coming in, and the best of luck with the, the the future career. Thank you so much. Thanks a million. Oh, so much fun. Dee Keevney, you can find out her details. So her stage name is Daria Decolette. So dariadecolette.com. That's where you'll find all the details. And she's on Instagram as well. And she's hoping, she's hoping that she will be able to perform here locally in the future. Now time for the jobs. LMFM Job Search with Local Heroes. Backed by Bordgosh Energy. Replace your old inefficient gas boiler with Local Heroes. Visit localheroes.ie. A part-time carer is required to support a lady in her own home in Kingscourt. If you're interested, please call June on 085 720 3792. That's 085 720 3792. Don't forget all the details of the jobs are updated every day. LMFM.ie in the job section. LMFM Job Search with Local Heroes. Backed by Bordgosh Energy. For gas boilers, heat pumps, and electric vehicle charge point installation, visit localheroes.ie. Niall Horan with Heaven. Now, this fantastic man from Navin. He does this every single year, and I have to mention him again. He is from Navin Roads Club. Uh, cyclist Larry Clark. He's holding a 24 hour roller cycle this coming Friday and Saturday at St. Eric's in Slane. And the proceeds from this special event is once again going to the ARC Cancer Support Centre which provides uh, care for people with cancer their family and friends regardless of where they live so sponsorship cards are now in circulation and you can make a donation on justgiving.com so if you go on to justgiving, justgiving.com forward slash page forward slash Larry Clark Roller 2023 but if you even just search up Larry Clark Roller 2023 you will get it and he does this every single year best of luck to him uh, happening this Friday and Saturday Brian Kennedy a better man that is bringing our show to a close for today thank you so much for your company as always and to all of our guests enjoy the rest of your Monday and I will chat to you again tomorrow Listen back to the 11 to 1 show podcast on lmfm.ie or the LMFM app